welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Derek Neighbors. And I'm Corey Haynes. So, Corey, you know, I just wanted to, to talk a little bit. I mean, you're pretty well known in the community, at least in the uh, software developer side. Um, also a little bit in the Agile and the XP side. And, you know, I, I find your story extremely fascinating on a, a number of levels. Um, one of the things that always intrigued me is that, you know, you kind of started uh, programming relatively young um, for uh, the average programmer, I would say. And so... I guess, you know, I'm curious a little bit how you got started. I think people can find some of that online. Um, but what would you tell parents who had kids that were interested in um, computers or programming? What would you tell them to uh, kind of encourage them to let their kids get into this kind of craft? Um, I think nowadays, like I got in by cheating at video games. So we had all the source code so we could go in and you know, change the source to let us get past points that we couldn't get past. Nowadays, it's a little bit more difficult to do that with, you know, all the games are huge and compiled. But I think now with the physical computing stuff that's so pervasive and so easy to get into, like, you know, with the Raspberry Pi stuff that's coming out and Arduinos and really grabbing that, the attention of the kids via physically doing stuff. Um, I've done a little bit of work with um, teaching kids. I taught a class last uh, summer, and we used Scratch for, pro for programming, and it was just amazing to see kids pick it up. Um, it was, you know, it's a graphical programming environment, so there was, there was a lot less of the frustration of, like, syntax errors, things like that. Um, and so I'd say get into, you know, bring those sorts of things. There's a lot of... Uh, sort of programs going on now around that are sort of centered around teaching kids to program. Yeah, ab um, absolutely. We were, we run one here at our workspace, so absolutely. Oh, excellent. So what what would you tell your younger self? If you could kind of go back in time to that 10-year-old Corey Haynes, what would you tell yourself? Um, don't start, don't go into Microsoft technologies. Um, I found... Simply because of the fact that um, when I started spreading my eyes out a little bit and started looking beyond the um, the sort of .NET space and the and before that the BB space, I started real. That's when I really found this amazing community of learning and a community of not just one language, but most people out there. I that I meet are some form of polyglot. So they're, you know, the open source community is very supportive. And I found that um, I got, I got sort of into uh, VB, C sharp, doing a lot of that in a corporate environment for t longer than I wish I had. Um, it was about 2004 when I started looking outward, mostly through the XP community. And I wish that I had started sooner. So, I mean, I think that, that segues really well. You know, you talk about kind of being in the corporate community, and I, I think, you know, certainly how you came on my radar was when you took your year-long tour where you kind of mm -hmm. said, you know what, I'm, I'm really kind of tired of this corporate thing, and I, I'm really interested in, in really becoming a master at what I do and, and really broadening my horizons and working with different people. And as part of that, you kind of took a, a year-long tour, so to speak, to go mm -hmm. work with a, a number of a wide variety of people, a wide variety of projects, uh, technologies, you name it. So why, what, what inspired you to do that? 
Um, I had so in 2008, I actually left my last corporate job, joined a startup for about seven months, got fired from that startup because it just was not a cultural fit for me, and then. Um, a friend of mine and a good mentor of mine, J.B. Rainsberger, he and I for quite a few years had been talking about how great it would be to do something like Paul Erdős, who was a mathematician that would basically just go everywhere and do math with people. And we always had that idea of, man, it would be great to have the opportunity to just go program with people, um, no overhead, no expectations, just go program, go code with them, see what they're doing, learn from them, teach them. And so when I got fired, I had some money saved up and was just like, now's the time to do it. I mean, it, you, there's so much out there to learn. There's so many people out there to um, yeah, learn from and teach. And so I set up a three-week trip, and then it sort of snowballed into that. It was originally only intended to be about three weeks, but during those three weeks, it started to snowball, and I started setting my side, my eyes outward a little bit and realized that there was a whole range of, of people out there that I could go code with. And it was, it was always uh, anywhere from a day to five days. So there was, I would, I would come in, the only rule was um, I was doing it for room and board, so I needed a place to stay and I needed food, and I was pairing with somebody the whole time. And that was sort of the only, the only rule that went with it. So, so, so what was the best part about that experience? Um, there was a lot of really great parts. Um, one, of the, one of the big things that came out of it that I had started with this idea and, and that actually came to fruition was they, the, I had a much, much better sense of sort of where I was level-wise. Like I had a good understanding. I'd worked with people who were you know, who'd been programming longer than I'd been alive. I'd been, I worked with people who'd been programming for a few years. And it really gave me an opportunity to reflect on just where I stood as a developer. I was about 11 years into my professional career, maybe 12 years in. And so we oftentimes get caught up in our community and we, we have a sense of where we are relative to the other people in our community. But by going out and just working with as many people as I could, I got a better sense of that. And then having to, you know, I'd, I'd learn something in one place and then the next day I would be teaching it to the next people. And that sort of helped me really solidify a lot of my understanding of the, a lot of the core fundamental techniques that I use when I program. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a huge, a huge deficit that that kind of this occupation has is it, it's really hard to have a measuring stick where you are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I think sometimes if you think you're really great at something, maybe you kind of pull back and you stop engaging, you stop learning. Um, and, and one of the things that kind of excites me is what, what if we get to a point where, uh, you know, companies start to put programmers out on loan, so to speak, or that, you know, they, you know, what, what if it was a corporate culture to allow, um, uh, you know, a little bit more polyglot behavior and allow um, developers to kind of meander between, you know, uh, different corporations to help get some of that litmus test to where they're at. Um, yeah, I, so, so in actually in 2010 and 2011, there was a group of companies that were doing just that. The couple of the, um, there's a group of seven uh, consulting companies, so like 
Relevance and uh, Optiva and Eighth Light and a few others around the world. And they started swapping employees for a week here, two weeks there. That's great. And, yeah, it was it was really neat to see. So, so there, I, th- I suspect there's a ton of great experiences, but what were some of the bad experiences? What was the worst part about kind of being on the road and working with different pairs, different technologies, different thing, you know, every week or every five days? Um, a lot of it was, and this, this is kind of a weird answer, that the, the worst part was the fact that it was just so utterly exhausting. Um, there wasn't... I look back and I've thought about it a lot and there wasn't, there weren't a lot of moments where I was like, man, this, this kind of sucks or this is, you know, difficult. It was a wonderful experience. Very just like almost, I I mean, I was going around, I'd meet people, I would pull and pull my car into somebody's house that I'd never met before and just kind of come in, sleep on their couch and then code with them all day. Um, But it, it was incredibly exhausting and and for the first probably about the first five or six months I was doing short several week maybe month-long trips and then I spent the summer of 2009 three weeks or three months continually on the road and drove 6,900 miles and you know went from Cleveland to Miami to Prince Edward Island back to Cleveland and and it really was just incredibly exhausting, but that exhaustion was exhilarating because I was learning so much and I was meeting people and seeing things and um, and so it, it it was I think it was really just that exhaustion was the the major negative part. So I, I think it is part of this kind of uh, journey of learning, so to speak. I think that um, you know we've really seen the software craftsmanship. Uh, movement start to to bubble up and kind of the metaphor of going from a print apprentice to journeyman um, to master and you know I know that you're a big part of the craftsmanship movement and and why do you identify with that and why does it kind of that metaphor strike a chord for you in relationship to software development well I I really like the the craftsmanship movement the craftsmanship community because it it covers the gambit of how do we bring people into software? How do we train them through their years? How do we, along the way, how do we interact with our customers? How do we uh, take pride and how do we treat our code? All of these things, um, with specifically with sort of the apprenticeship to journeyman and, and beyond, I'm, I have a hard time sort of bringing the master term in, mostly because it's, you know, we all have, the only case that I use it is when there's somebody that I personally look up to and learn from as opposed to sort of an external, this is, this person is considered a master. Um, I'm much more focused on like the, the idea of apprenticeship, of coming into a trade and learning somebody else's way. So I, I look at it as, Apprenticeship is when you are studying under somebody and learning the way that they develop software. You find somebody who is an effective, proven software developer, and you learn their methodology and their techniques and their practices. And then there's a point where you've got those practices down and you can, you can sit there on your own and really take, be effective at them. And when you have that, it's important, I think, to go out, sort of cast your eyes out, 
look at the people around, find somebody and say, hey, they're doing something completely different than I am, or they develop software differently, or they don't use some of the practices that I use, but they're being effective. And go look and learn from them as well. You'll bring stuff to share with them. You'll be able to learn somebody else's style. And when you do that, you then start to merge those two styles in yourself and you start to learn and you start to reflect over those techniques. And that is something that I think really could uh, sort of further our understanding of software development. So that there are a few... So I'd really like that. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a few folks in the um, Agile community that are uh, kind of critical, um, perhaps, of the craftsmanship movement and, and really struggling with tying the concept of software um, development kind of is an art form opposed to more of a scientific form. Um, and I think the, the biggest criticism that is kind of universal between the detractors seem to be that, you know, when we, when we move to the metaphor of uh, craftsmanship, that the the fear is that we're turning all of the focus into the actual act of the creation of um, the product opposed to the deliverable or, of the product or the output or the effects that the product has on whoever you're building it for. Um, you know, I think that uh, some of the examples are, you know, if you're more, you know, more worried about the stylistic um, making of the table, so to speak, and which wood to use and which whatever, um, and you're not focused then on, you know, how it would necessarily be used in the the, the real world. And, and so maybe you could answer some of those detractors. Yeah, and it's, I understand where that is coming from and where that, um, those fears are coming from. And there are people who have written, you know, like Dan North, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for and had a great conversation with him about this last fall. And the problem, the thing is that being in the software development community and being in the agile community and the craftsmanship community, and we spend most of our time developing software. And the things we talk about tend to be around developing software. And the screencasts that we do tend to be about developing software but there's a very important part of the agile or the craftsmanship manifesto which is the productive partnerships which is really about the way that we deal with our client the way that we partner with them to deliver software to them that is uh, you know fit for use it's exactly what they need no more no less um, a lot of the craftsmanship thoughts came out of a reaction towards um, just the general level of horror, horrible <laughs> code that's out there. And so a lot of the emphasis that, that we put is on learning some of these techniques. Um, we, there are practices and techniques that the, you know, there's no more question about whether or not automated unit tests provide value the majority of the time and that TDD is a valuable value providing method for doing design of your system is it always a hundred percent of the time the thing you should do I've I was talking to Fred George and he I mean he had given a great talk at SCNA where he said that if it's faster to rewrite your system then you don't need to do TDD 
And it's like, well, that, that makes sense. If it's fast, if you're writing a script or if you're writing just something that's very quick to put out there, maybe you don't do it. But we, the majority of people aren't at that point. The majority of developers out there, we're not to the point where we have the experience necessary to make those decisions. And so like I'm very much, I very much tell people, always write tests. And it's better to overwrite them and then do reflect on the problems that that caused than to have no tests at all and not do any sort of test first development and suffer the consequences of that. We've all been through those projects and we know that doesn't work. And we have a series of or a, a set of practices that the discussions over they do work it's just a matter of knowing how to apply them and you learn how to apply them by practicing them and so we talk a lot about this but if you go to um, if you go to the conferences that we have if you talk to the people that are involved in the community and you go look at some of the companies that consider themselves craftsmanship companies like say eighth light here in Chicago uh, their their focus entirely is on satisfying what the client needs it's not about uh, polishing it and it's not about gold plating it they have a you know an, a very active incredibly successful apprenticeship program they do katas with their people they do all of the things that we talk about that people say we're overly focused on but you can't get better if you don't practice and the state of the software industry is atrocious right now we're doing things and making mistakes that we should not be making on our day-to-day -day jobs so that's a long-winded answer i hope it kind of <laughs> no i mean I, I i think it's great i think when you, you get to the the core of it i mean i think you're i think the community is addressing um the the symptom of you know that we see on a regular basis which is really really bad code and really really bad practices um and i think you have to get through that to get to the the good stuff um yeah. you know it, you know speaking of community you do a ton of community work with code retreats and code and coffee you've got a number of projects out there whether it be your katacasts or you how i got started uh programming series i definitely think people should check out and get engaged do you have anything uh new that you're working on that you want to share with people well, I've uh, I just last uh, December started a nonprofit sort of centered around the code retreat um, stuff, and so we had um, this global day of code retreat last December where we had 94 cities uh, all doing a code retreat on the same day, and they were they were Skype calling back and forth, and it was just this wonderful day of bringing basically the whole globe together on a single day, and. Out of that, I brought out a, a nonprofit called the uh, Code Retreat Community Contribution Fund, which is a um, right now it's operating as a nonprofit. We're under 501c3 review, but the goal of that is to be sort of an umbrella organization for doing fundraising f to support kids' programming events, as well as a, a small amount of the funds will go towards uh, supporting uh, adult practice-oriented workshops of the code retreat nature um, don't have to be code retreat but um, just sort of practice-oriented 
Um, but I've been working a lot on that lately is the um, just sort of how do you fundraise. Um, I, we just, uh, I just did a code retreat in January that raised uh, $400 and turned that around and sponsored the, um, in San Francisco there's an organization called Black Girls Code, which is focused on uh, teaching underserved girls to program. And they're doing a six-week course um, on the National STEM Challenge for writing video games and stuff. And so we took our the $400 we had and we paid for snacks and drinks and stuff for them. So the big the big thing that I'm really excited about now is that, is, is sort of figuring out how to help these programs out there like Kids Ruby and Hackety Hack and Black Girls Code and um, Code Now um, and use some of the stuff, some of the excitement that we've built up around Code Retreat um, as a way of raising money to support that. Um, we're we're going to be doing Global Day of Code Retreat again this year in December, and the plan is for about 200 cities around the world to do it. And my stretch goal is to have a uh, Skype call with the space station. There you go. So um, I figure, you know, if you're going to have a stretch goal, it should stretch into outer space. So I'll I'll say if you're if you're listening to this next year you need to participate in uh, the global cold retreat we've done it here at uh, Gangplank a few times and we definitely participated last year in the uh, global initiative and it's well worth everybody who participates time and Corey thank you so much for joining us today I love the work you're doing I love what you're doing to pay it forward and you're really a model for uh, other developers out there to care about the code and really care about the community so again awesome. thank you for stopping by. Oh, well, I appreciate it, Derek. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Scrumcast is brought to you by Integram Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integramtech.com or subscribe on iTunes.